Hello, Nerd Herd Nation. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 16 of Go Chuck Yourself. This is the episode where Aaron and I are going to recap and analyze Season 2, Episode 16 of Chuck. That is Chuck versus the Lethal Weapon. Make sure to send us an email at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at gochuckpodcast. Make sure to like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you get a chance, leave a review. We'd love to read it. Now, without further ado, here we go. Chris Gillespie. I'm in a third errata, and I'm taking this time. Does your beard usually look like that? No, oh, I shaved yesterday. Oh, okay, I like the little like slow patch thing. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> I uh, I'm trying a new thing. I think it's working out it's okay so like far. He, uh, for the listener at home, this kind of looks like Tony Stark now a little bit, but like with more scruff. Do you think? Well, like he doesn't have the stuff on the side, but if you shaved off the stuff on the side, I think you would kind of have like a Tony thing going on. I don't, well, because my facial hair is very blonde, so it gets, I can't do a lot, because if I just, like, if I shave the side, and I just have a blonde mustache, it kind of just looks bad. Well, it's, so, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's a decent look. Oh, well, thank Try you. Try it out, see uh, what happens. Go Chuck yourself, we're talking about season two, episode 16 of Chuck, Chuck versus the lethal weapon, and to start, I want to talk about a lethal weapon, potentially the most lethal weapon of them all, some say it's even mightier than a sword. That's right. I'm talking about pens. Pens? And not like the uh, the idea for a music video that we had a few episodes oh, back really in, in Versus the Sensei, yeah. uh, where it's a music video of everyone returning free pens that they've ever received. <laughs> you know, banks, post offices, wherever you receive a, a free pen. You have that name and address on it and the phone number. What would happen if you brought it back to those people? Yeah, if you uh, didn't listen to the episode where we talked about this at length, then now you are listening to this one and you will know exactly what we said. It's uh, it's a very poignant idea. Yeah. Uh, so the pen is mightier than the sword. I think we can agree upon that, correct? Yeah, sure. And it can be a it can be a powerful weapon. It can be a harmful weapon, but sometimes it can be used for good, just like uh, actual swords. I'm sure there are some situations where swords have been used for good. Wall decorations. You could use a sword as a wall decoration. One time, if, you were, uh, you may if remember, you were being attacked by a dragon, yeah, um, you, you could may use a sword. Remember the uh, essay that I wrote about how my dad used a sword to cut open a watermelon. That was nice because then we got to eat watermelon. I do. That's a good use yeah. of the sword. Oh, yeah. So plenty of of good uses for swords and pens. Plenty of of good uses for pens. Yes. Uh, this is all to say that we have some fan letters that we'd want to read they were not written with pen uh but they were written well, on the computer you can't say that they didn't write them out by hand first and then transcribe them because they could have done that we don't know that's true the lives of these kind kind people we will not know until these people uh are you know commemorated in museums and things like that and their boxes of letters that they've written over the years are framed and analyzed for for future historians yeah, just like emily dickinson <laughs> just like Emily Dickinson. Uh, and like Emily Dickinson, we have some letters from some listeners who are fans of the show. I'm sure Emily Dickinson would love the show if she were alive. Thanks, Emily. Uh, Thanks for listening from beyond the grave. Uh, so I just wanted to share these. Um, let's see. Let me pull up the old mailbag. Oh, it's heavy. Wow, it is heavy with that mailbag, Chris. <laughs> it's not so much that it is heavy; it is just that I am very weak. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's heavy. It's heavy in content. So I just wanted to read this letter from Steve. The subject line is "Thanks." Uh, he addresses it to both Chris and Aaron. Hi, oh. Aaron. Hi, Chris. I'm. I'm uh, first. Just want to note that. <clears throat> you're actually not. Oh. I just when I was paraphrasing, I said you first because I'm a gentleman. Okay. So. Yeah, he um he wants to thank us for doing the podcast. He listens every week. That's great, Steve. Thank you. Uh, he likes how lighthearted the show is. He says it's a nice mental break as he drives to and from work. Oh, Steve. Uh, so we are joining Steve on his commute. Maybe we're on the commute right now. 
How's it going, Steve? Thanks for picking us up. Steve, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for taking us along in your car. Eyes on the road, Steve. Oh, man, Seriously. Steve. Okay, yeah. You could, we could talk to you and you could still drive, right? There's no, <laughs> no need to be a reckless driver. Eyes don't, on the road. Don't call Steve a reckless driver. Steve is a great driver. Steve has a, he's a great spotless driver. track record. He does. Probably because he's listening to this show and it enhances his performance. <laughs> uh like downloading into uh an intersect for driving yeah. is what this show is uh steve goes on to say um that he wanted to point out you know back a few episodes back we were doing the whole jill arc um and he wanted to share a deleted scene that we may or may not have seen uh where it's actually supposed to be the first meeting between sarah and jill uh rather than what is actually shown in the show um and he had sent the link along for that and i watched it and it was very informative i had a good laugh we could uh we could tweet that link if um if others haven't seen it it is uh useful context so we could uh we could tweet it out with a special thank you to steve we'll, we'll do that let's do that okay great plan we will we will do that uh it also had spurred an idea for me where i was like hey Maybe I should watch the deleted scenes before watching the episodes instead of waiting to watch all the deleted scenes until the end of the season. So I'll be like, oh, here's all this stuff that I didn't know after the fact. I'll try to maybe change that in season yeah, three. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I mean, you can watch them after the episode. You don't have to watch them before the episode because then they might like spoil things. I guess you've already seen mm -hmm. that. But um, yeah, it makes more sense than trying to like piece together where, where they belonged in context. Yes, But thank helpful. you, Steve. Thank you for Steve. so many things. <laughs> Thank you again, Steve. I'll, we have another letter here. I will pass this to Aaron for Aaron to read. I'm very excited to read it. Oh, this one I am first in. So um, <sighs> You're this right. is one of our international listeners. His name is Paul, and I was very excited to hear from him. We were both very excited. He says, hi, Aaron. Hi, Chris. Paul has also been enjoying our podcast. He does not mention driving while listening to it, but we don't know. If he could be driving like Steve, he could be walking along. Whatever you're doing, Paul, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Paul goes on to say, I especially laughed when I learned that Aaron thought Garcon was a name. Chris, I remember from uh, our discussion about this, you had no idea what I was talking about, so I felt very <laughs> validated to see that someone, uh, someone laughed. Uh, Paul says, you might know this already since you looked it up, but it comes from the French Garçon de Café, which, like you said, basically means waiter, Garçon meaning boy, and Café meaning coffee. It is very fancy, and very few people use this word. Let me reassure you, nobody in France, and hopefully in the whole world, is actually called Garçon. So, uh, if you are a listener who is named Garçon, and you would like to uh, counter Paul on that, feel free. But, uh, <laughs> Paul, thank you. I Thank you for your insight. Um, I, again, was very happy to be validated in this, uh, this interesting piece of information that Chris was not interested in. Um, I'm also happy you laughed, and I'm happy to hear from you. I'm happy you're enjoying the show. Thank you from both of us. Yes. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for reaching out. I What I enjoyed about this, not only just receiving a letter from France, which is very exciting, yes. um, I, I just think that it's interesting that a fringe benefit of this show is that you were able to be so completely and totally wrong with the thing that you were thinking that someone from around the world, <laughs> across the ocean, corrected you. That is just a, a wonderful delight of doing this show, yeah. is finding out how wrong we really are. So if anyone else from around the world or within the United States of America wants to tell us we're wrong, go ahead. <laughs> I challenge um, you to tell us how wrong we are that may be opening the floodgates on that <laughs> one but we'll see uh we also have another quick note um this one's from alvaro hi alvaro alvaro just wanted to point out that he uh he wanted to let us know about the the mix-up in the ordering of the past few episodes uh he's saying that the intended order was chuck versus the best friend chuck versus the suburbs chuck versus the beefcake and then uh today's episode chuck versus the lethal weapon and he says, I'm enjoying your recaps of the best show ever. Thank you, Alvaro. Yeah, thank you for so the much. heads up. Thank you. Uh, thank you for providing us some information. Um, this may be uh, another example of someone telling us when we were wrong. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Yeah. A little bit. So, I mean, we got, we got there eventually, but I don't think we communicated yeah. it as succinctly no, as so. Alvaro I was knew. able to. I just didn't tell anyone else. 
We're like, oh, the president was involved yeah, somehow, and then they, they moved this episode back, yeah. and then it was Valentine's Day. But this episode actually references this episode. Yeah, so thank you, Alvaro, for your much more concise explanation of what was going on, which we can now pass on to our viewers. Yes, absolutely. Our viewers, we don't have any of them. Well, we did we find have out we have listeners. a YouTube channel. Well, I knew that we had okay. a YouTube channel. Well, if you want to listen to Go Chuck Yourself on YouTube, you can do that. Yeah. It's there. Um, so, or just use Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yeah. Leave us a review. Or Podbean. Uh, we would be happy to um, read your review on the air. If, if you don't want us to do that, you can let us know and we will just not do that. That's also, um, maybe you wanted your correspondence to be private and that's fine and we're sorry if we uh, did, did not respect that. <clears throat> well, I yeah, if you, if you want to write something to us and uh, I mean, I don't know, Aaron and I are pretty good at picking up on social cues, I think. But if you are not confident in that, you could always write in parentheses, do not read this on the air. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes, that was our mailbag. So thank you. That means a lot that yeah, people enjoying uh, the show. Paul, Steve, and Alvaro. And everyone else who listens, everyone else who has uh, sent us reviews, comments in the past. Um, I think of them often and every day in my heart. It, it brings a little joy to my day that uh, you, you people are enjoying. So thank you. Yes. It's exciting that we can all be united through a, uh, you know, a, a fondness for this this television program so yeah speaking of the television program we got a pretty meaty episode today Ooh. chuck versus the lethal weapon i'd say we could uh dive into it if you are ready miss errata i am ready okay <laughs> were you gonna call me miss gillespie no. um okay so if we've learned anything in this rewatch <laughs> it's that minor chuck characters tend to stick around for an episode and then vanish into the ether this week, though, I get to have my cake and eat it, too, because Jonathan Cake is back as Cole He's Barton. back, baby. Thank God. Uh, less thankfully, the episode starts with him being tortured. The guys torturing him want to know how much the CIA knows about Perseus, which is, uh, I don't think, a name we've heard before, but something that is important. Um, the last question the torture guy asks is, who is the intersect? Cole refuses to answer, so the torture guy whacks him with a we cut to Chuck waking up. Wax in- is is kind of a, a a gentle way of hit saying what, that he was hit by a pipe. Yeah, I mean, whack. I th- I feel like uh, whack is kind of like when you were in sixth grade and they were like use descriptive words. You're gonna get a really uh, good grade for your sixth grade class yeah, that this I'm is a project for. To that. Uh, we cut to Chuck waking up in bed with Sarah. Apparently, oh. when she said they were moving in together, she meant immediately into the Bartowski's home. <laughs> we see that they're both awake, facing away from each other when the alarm goes off. Uh, Sarah explains that the CIA is still finding them an apartment, so that's that's why um, she's in Chuck's bed for now. Um, mm-hmm. She notes that when they have an apartment, they'll make sure it has separate rooms, which honestly is pretty nice. I think more relationships could have separate rooms and uh, spice, spice things up a bit that way, get, get a little space. <laughs> I was wondering, like... In the truck versus the suburbs, like they bought a whole house right away. Like, why are they having so much trouble finding an apartment? But also, like, maybe the LA housing situation at this time not not the best. Maybe it's you a comment know. on that. You never know. The real estate market constantly fluctuating. Yes, absolutely. Sarah tells Chuck to count himself lucky that he doesn't have to move in with Casey and Casey's many pictures of Ronald Reagan and bonsai trees. Yes. Chuck does seem to be enjoying having Sarah around, at least in as much as he's madly in love with her, of course. Apparently, the Bartowski bathroom has his and her sinks. This is a beautiful bathroom. Yeah. I don't think we've ever seen I it I don't before. think so. We've only ever seen, like, the shower. Right. So. right, but I feel like that was a different bathroom, because there was the one where someone was in a bathtub. Right? Uh, was it Chuck? Maybe. Chuck and Sarah go into a bathroom at some during some kind of dinner party. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't this bathroom. I wonder why they have two bathrooms. I don't, they have this, I don't know, I looked like a master suite kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know if I... Maybe I they were know. allowed into Ellie and Devin's bathroom for some reason. I don't know. We don't know the intricacies of the bathroom situation at the Bartowski's, but This apartment just bathroom. keeps getting more and more wonderful. Yes. I guess Sarah, she's worried about Cole, and she says she's concerned, but their relationship was purely professional. Chuck is kind of upset by this because he saw them kiss and knows that Sarah is lying, but I was happy because purely professional is what Sarah has always said about Chuck. So I think, you know, Chuck could have reason to suspect that maybe uh, if she says that she has professional feelings for a man that she kissed, 
And she says she has professional feelings for Chuck, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already know all of this, but, you know, it was still nice to see. When they make their way out into the living room, Ellie immediately hugs them. She's just so thrilled that they're moving out and in together. Devin is excited, too. He says, you two lovebirds need to find a nest where you can let the worm wriggle free. <laughs> that, is that what you heard? Because the Amazon subtitles for this episode were, like, three lines of dialogue ahead of whatever was going on at any given time. So it was really hard to, like, confirm that that's what he said. But that's what I heard. Yeah, no, that's what I heard. Okay. That's what I got. Okay. The worm's wiggling over here, too. What? What? The worm's wiggling on both coasts. I'm going to not acknowledge that. Uh, everyone starts ripping on Chuck's Tron poster again. Ellie says <laughs> he can't bring it with him when he moves out. Everyone laughs until Chuck reveals that his dad gave him that poster. So, mm-hmm. bringing up his dad. I wonder if that's going to come up any further in this season. Ellie asks if Chuck has had any luck finding his dad's address for the wedding. Chuck says not yet. Sarah changes the subject to ask how Morgan took the news that Chuck was no longer available to move in with him. I'm glad she asked this because I've been stressed out about this since I watched the last episode. It keeps, like, occurring to me, and I'm like, Jesus, what is he going to do? Uh, as it turns <laughs> out, Chuck hasn't told Morgan yet. We cut to the buy more where Jeff and Lester are taking turns doing a, a roast of Morgan for some reason. I don't know why this is happening, but it is. Yeah, it's like a, a combination of roast slash, uh, like, yo mama-like. Yeah burn session 2009 whatever um is morgan's hair different yeah i think you got a haircut okay it looks nice like oh i mean it looks better um it yeah i'm like it's pointy now it's very sharp yes um you probably call yourself on it uh morgan responds to the roast by saying that he and chuck are moving in together and his coworkers should not expect housewarming invitations just then chuck arrives he tells Morgan they have to talk about the apartment, which seems like the kind of thing they could do, like, after work or in private. Uh, but we all know Chuck has no idea what work-life balance means. Before he can wreck Morgan's whole work day in the middle of the store, Casey appears, grabs Chuck, and says, My office, now! As Chuck is dragged away, Morgan says, When did you get an office, John? Which I thought was really funny. The next scene is filmed in a way that made me really, really dizzy. I think it's meant to like show how disorienting it might be for Chuck being pulled into Castle and Sarah and Casey are in there like hacking furiously and they're like, we have to go now. Um, I guess the idea is that the CIA failed to locate Cole within 12 hours, so that means Chuck has to be uh, sent to a bunker. I don't know why they didn't just do this initially. Um, it seemed like they kind of had things in hand with the plan to have Sarah and Chuck move in with each other, but uh, apparently not anymore. Um, as Chuck is asking about the safety of his friends and family, alarms start going off, stating there's a perimeter breach. Casey and Sarah pick up these giant guns and lead Chuck to the exit, but it's the exit where the breach is happening. I think there's more than one, so I don't know why they went to that one. I don't know. Because they're going to fight the intruder. Yeah, they're not just going to run away. Sure. Um, Casey tells Chuck to get back, and he and Sarah point their guns, but when the door opens, it's a very bloody Cole Barker. Sarah says, Cole, and runs forward. Cole says, don't worry, I didn't say a word, and then falls to the ground. He's in, uh, he's in good shape, you know, physical fitness-wise, but otherwise he's in bad shape. Yes. Uh, he, he really, uh, he was whacked a couple times by that pipe. Yes. Sarah comforts him, and Chuck is not enthused that he's back. After the credit sequence, Sarah questions Cole about his escape from Fulcrum while Chuck and Casey look on behind a two-way mirror. Chuck doesn't trust Cole because he can't believe Cole took out nine guys to escape. Casey says, nine guys is doable. Cole tells Sarah that he didn't talk because that would have meant she would be in danger, and he came back to make sure she was safe. He's sitting at the interrogation table, wiping the blood off himself with some gauze, and I'm like, Jesus, like, let the man take a shower. <laughs> I don't know why he just has to sit there soaked in his own blood. Over this comes audio of Anna telling Morgan he's the sexiest man in the world and presenting him with a gift for their 16-month anniversary. Is that what she says? Yep. yep. Okay. Uh, Morgan immediately panics because he didn't get her a gift, but she says she knows what he got her and holds up a copy of The Lease, which he apparently left in the fax machine because he can't do anything right. She is absolutely thrilled for them to be starting their life together, and Morgan is like, ah, because, you know, he was the leases for an apartment that he was going to get with Chuck. Anna tells Morgan that she's going to show him that his mother isn't the only one who can be noisy in the bedroom. So, that's a, they're digging their heels in on that one. Morgan's mom, loud in the bedroom. I was 
I didn't know how to take this because I was like, oh, I'm usually made uncomfortable by Jeff and Lester and Morgan talking about Anna. But now I'm like uncomfortable about Anna talking about Anna. So am I even uncomfortable? It's like multiplying a negative by a negative makes a positive. <laughs> yeah, I was so just you're kind just of not like, uncomfortable about this anymore. You love it. <laughs> Jeff and Lester overhear Morgan's conundrum and say they're going to help convince Anna that living with Morgan is a bad idea by making him as repulsive as possible. Maybe they'll just show her footage of him and Chuck versus the best friend. That would repel anyone. <laughs> or, yeah, uh, that any, episode, any episode, a lot of other episodes. <laughs> Back in Castle, Beckman reveals that Fulcrum has been protecting a man named Perseus, who's the head scientist behind Fulcrum's version of the Intercept. Apparently that's who Cole has been trying to get close to, although it's never been mentioned before, and I don't know why. Uh, Perseus is going to be at some kind of fancy event at the Swiss consulate that evening, so Beckman has gotten invitations for Sarah and Casey. Chuck and Cole are told to stay in the bunker because Fulcrum is still actively searching for them. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, it's reasonable. The first part of Operation Repulsion turns out to be an obscure and disturbing hobby, which turns out to be playing Wii Tennis. Well, it's not just that they're playing Wii Tennis, they're recreating famous tennis matches using Wii Sports. I don't know if that's really uh, obscure or disturbing. I feel like I need to rethink some things about my life if that's the case. <laughs> I Yeah, that's true. If, if loving Wii Tennis is wrong, I do not want to be right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Big fan of Wii Tennis. In fact, I'm, frankly, I'm upset that, you know, Wii has fallen out of the uh, the pop culture I know. pantheon well, of things, you know? it's kind of funny, because maybe when this episode aired, like, I don't know the exact history of, like, Wii Sports, but possibly when this episode aired, it, like, wasn't as popular as it then became, so maybe there was, like, a peak after this episode, and then now we're back on the downswing of that peak, so it's, like, was weird when this episode aired, and is weird now, but wasn't weird for a little while. I don't... I... I don't know what was so special about Wii Sports. There was something so so magical about it. it was just, it's not even like the most advanced game, but it's just like anyone can play. Yeah, it was cool. You're to like be controlling. Like, the... like you were like playing a video game, but it was like exercise. Yeah. It's like when I used to do DDR as a workout. Like it was. Just, there you go. Yeah. That's pretty intensive. Yeah. I was so good at Wii tennis. I got like my character was like maxed up in terms of like whatever skill points or whatever you have in Wii tennis. I was not good at Wii tennis. I was good at um. Uh, frisbee. If you're good at frisbee, I sucked at the yeah, frisbee one. I was one. not good at the frisbee one. I don't think I just boxing. I was okay at yeah. golf. I'm not good at in any whether it's okay Wii or at. normal. I think I was pretty bowling good at is bowling. okay because bowling is like it. It's formulaic, yeah. so if you do the same thing every time, yeah. you can get a strike. Yeah. You crack the code. Yeah. Well, Go Wii yourself, everybody. Uh, Chris is the Wii tennis champion. So if hey. A few episodes ago, we were talking about the Chuck wedding party plan, yep. where Aaron and I will come to your wedding if you have a Chuck-themed wedding. Yep. You know what? I'm going to throw in the Nintendo Wii. Oh, we'll yeah. play Wii Tennis at your wedding that great. as we, we celebrate wait, Chuck on. and your marriage. Me, me and you will play it, or like we'll invite everybody else to play it? Well, I guess the courteous thing to do would be to have other people play it, but <laughs> I so it'll be hard to, to pry the Wiimote from my hands. Yeah. But well, you can try. Okay, so everyone can... I will swap out with people. Chris is going to play the whole time. Well, Ooh, I got to get into shape. I got to start practicing again. Yeah. So on that note, um, when Anna gets off of work and asks Morgan to show her her the new apartment, he explains that he can't because he's recreating the famous tennis matches. Despite the fact that they're in the Bymore, Jeff takes off his shirt. I guess that's the disturbing part. Also, this part made me realize that Morgan has a copy of the lease agreement for an apartment that Chuck hasn't even heard about yet or seen yet. Like, is that right. weird? That's weird. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Back in Castle, Cole and Chuck are watching from hidden cameras as Casey and Sarah navigate the party. Cole alerts Sarah to an armed man by an exit. Chuck alerts Casey to a tray of crab cakes. Mm. Mm. The Italian minister arrives to flirt with Sarah and Cole gets her out of that situation by telling her the names of the minister's wife and children. That's actually really helpful. I don't know. That was nice. Uh, Chuck <laughs> is in a pissing contest with Cole, and anytime Cole does anything to help, Chuck gets all defensive. Fortunately for him, he happens to flash on a man named Howard and lets everyone know that this guy has to be Perseus. Sarah compliments him, and Chuck says, got a few skills of my own, don't I? He then takes the time to ask Cole about taking out nine guys, because Chuck's really insecure, and Cole says, always go for the knee. Maybe that'll come back at some point in this episode. 
Hmm. Sarah and Casey approach Howard, aka Perseus, and I have to say it's kind of nice to see them this way. Casey's usually like a waiter or a bartender or a cable guy or some kind of like uh, not wearing a suit, but he looks pretty good mm-hmm. in a suit. He looks pretty good as like an ambassador type figure. He's got like good. He's got like a very broad chest. He looks good in the suit. You're uh, you're feeling Casey this week, huh? I was, yeah. Uh, Even with Cole in the room, you're still gravitating well, towards Cole Casey. Cole was not in that specific room. Oh, okay. So you kind of go on a room by room basis. Yes. Okay. Um, right then, the dude who is torturing Cole tends to bump into Sarah. Before Cole or Chuck can warn her, communications completely cut out. Chuck and Cole freak out, and Cole guesses that Fulcrum made Sarah and Casey. He suggests they head to the consulate to save them. Chuck is reluctant because he doesn't want to disobey orders, but Cole says it's not about wanting to be the hero; it's about needing. He then gives Chuck a gun, but Chuck is kind of like Batman, and he's like got a no-gun policy. Um, he's, <laughs> he's nervous about it. I mean, he's never used one before at this point, so that's part of where his nerves come from. But he's uh, he's a little reluctant about the gun. So, Aaron, would you say that this gun is perhaps the aforementioned lethal weapon? Oh, yeah, I was actually going to ask you that when we got to the end, because I don't really know what the lethal weapon is referring to. I guess the gun. I guess that makes the most sense. I've never seen think, the film Lethal Weapon, so I also didn't know if, like, maybe this episode was parallel to it or something. Well, I, I don't think I have either. I feel like I maybe have seen it, part of it on TV once. But I think I think it maybe is the gun. But I also think that because Lethal Weapon is like a buddy cop movie, mm-hmm. and I feel like Chuck and Cole kind of have the buddy cop oh, yeah, dynamic sense. this week. Yeah. I think that's... Okay. It's working on two fronts. Okay, I understand. Uh, Speaking of Chuck and Cole, as they're approaching the consulate, Chuck says that he and Cole need to establish a cover. Uh, as you were just saying, you know, Sarah and Casey and Chuck generally stay within the realm of service industry jobs, mm-hmm. waiters, bartenders, valets, etc. But Chuck suggests doing something different, and uh, he says that they should go as dentists just to switch it up. Yeah, I thought that was but pretty Cole, funny. Cole doesn't like this idea, though. And Chuck asks if he has any better ideas, and Cole says that they should just go as spies, and then he immediately punches out a security guard. That was also funny. Both funny. Funny guys. Inside the consulate, Sarah and Casey are talking to Dr. Howard, who is the scientist from the Department of Defense, uh, about his scientific research that I'm assuming is covered in Stanford's psychology and symbolism class. I, I believe so. Anyhow, Sarah says that this is fascinating, whether or not it's real or not. And implores him to keep talking about his work when the fulcrum agent be- from before. Do we? Does he have a name? He has a name in the credits, but they never say his name. Okay. Should we give him a name? I think it's like Greg or something. Do you want to give him a Greg? funner name? I was going to go with like Jorge. I mean, Jorge's Julio. fun. Jorge, Greg, whatever. If you hear us, use a name. Greg probably, Jorge? Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Greg comes up. And uh, he says, I'd like to hear about his work, too. And he points a gun at someone, someone in the area. Yeah, you know. Not really sure. He just takes out a yeah. gun. And it's kind of like, yeah. I have a gun. Yep. Chuck and Cole sneak up towards the consulate, hiding behind shrubs and topiaries and the like. Chuck is nervous about taking on Fulcrum. So Cole tells him that Chuck needs to get in the game before Fulcrum gets Sarah and Casey. At this point, Chuck stands up and sees in the window that Sarah and Casey are being taken at gunpoint <gasps> to a different location. Chuck says, I think Fulcrum already has them. <gasps> Cole looks around for a way to enter the building and sees a service ladder running up to the roof. Cole makes a client uh Cole makes to climb the ladder, but immediately rips the stitches in his abdomen and starts ble- bleeding so profusely. It wasn't even just like a gradual like No, blood. he it just, just like climbed like, up the ladder and it was like he was soaked in like his whole <laughs> chest. Oh god. He's like, oh also, think, uh, like, that's that's smart. Chuck is nervous about this ladder, and it's like, okay, like, climbing a ladder is scary, but it's not like he has to scale a wall. Like, it is a ladder that goes to, like, the second floor, and it's not like a rusty, gross ladder. It's fine. It's got the side handles, too, right? Yeah. It's not just like a... He's gonna be It's a fine. pretty easy ladder. Yeah. Get over yourself, Chuck. Yeah. Get on top of that ladder. Cole insists that he can climb up the ladder, but Chuck won't allow it. Chuck's maternal insects kicking in again. <laughs> and uh, Chuck scurries up the ladder himself to prove a point. Inside, uh, Dr. Howard is confused as to why the Fulcrum agents are taking Sarah and Casey hostage since they all they all work for the CIA. They're all on the same side. Casey corrects him and says that the Fulcrum agents are terrorists. Dr. Howard is all confused and the Fulcrum guy, uh, I guess Greg, 
has a speech about how fulcrum agents are patriots and are doing what's right to protect America's place in the world. So we learn a little bit more, uh, or we hear a little bit more about Fulcrum's goals and values again this time. Yes, we do. And the Fulcrum agent says that someday everyone will thank Fulcrum, except for Sarah and Casey, because they will be dead. Yes, they will. Dr. Howard tells Casey that he didn't know that he was working for Fulcrum. He's just a scientist who wanted to help his country. Uh, Greg apparently thinks that this is too much information to share. So he also points his gun at Dr. Howard now. Chuck sees all of this unfold from the window. And he calls back down to Cole to let him know what's going on. Cole says that he needs 20 seconds to get up there, but Chuck can go in now and, quote, start taking guys out. <laughs> Chuck says that Casey and Sarah haven't shown him how to use a gun, but Cole says that it's all point and click, point at the bad guys, and pull the trigger. So this is uh, advice that is given a lot in, like, these these kinds of action movies and shows. Um, I... I've never fired a gun, so I don't know if that's true, but I I feel like it's very cavalier to say that that's all the training that you need to work a gun. And I think in this situation, like, we know that these are, like, good guys doing a good thing, but um, there are a lot more things that you need to know other than point and click. So if you are young or adult listeners, think that that's all there is to gun handling, take a class. I don't know. Learn, like, learn, learn a little bit more. I think it's harder than that. That's right. It's not an easy thing, and they're not toys, and they're not video games, and they're very serious weapons that are lethal, as the title suggests, mm -hmm. and everyone should be uh, using them with the utmost care in only the most appropriate contexts, none of which are lashing out violently at fellow human beings. Yes. Um, and I mean, you know, Chuck kind of gets his uh, based on, or Chuck's, uh, Chuck slash Cole's hubris about Chuck's ability to handle a gun. Um, it it pays it pays down pays off because uh, things go wrong as Chris is probably about to tell you. That's right, things do go wrong. Chuck is really nervous. Cole runs away, saying, "20 seconds, I'll be right there." Chuck pokes his head through the window as he's fumbling with his gun. Casey and Sarah see him coming through the window, and Casey says, "We're dead. Bartowski's got a gun." <laughs> as the fulcrum agent takes the safety off of his own gun, that's a, a gun tidbit. That's something that you would yeah. throw in a gun glass. Chuck panics and decides to leap into action, and by leap, I mean get stuck in the window and drop his gun. <laughs> As the gun hits the ground, it goes off and accidentally shoots Dr. Howard in the leg, causing him to proclaim, I'm hit! He did, he, said, he did say that. A brawl ensues with Sarah and Casey beating up the fulcrum agents, except for Greg, who escapes. Uh, and then Dr. Howard, despite also being shot in the leg, also runs away. Uh, surprisingly fast for someone who I'm assuming has never been shot before and doesn't have well, pain Well, I mean, tolerance. we don't know his life. He's, he works for the government. He could have been shot before. Yes, so. Sarah runs down the hall after him. As she returns to the stairwell, Greg pops up and aims and tries to shoot at her when Cole comes leaping out from around the corner and takes the bullet to the arm for Sarah. Knocking Sarah to the ground, Cole makes to fire at Greg, but Greg escapes. Cole uses this moment to flirt with Sarah, when Sarah realizes that Cole is bleeding on her, Chuck and Casey run up and Chuck complains that he thinks he sprained his ankle in the window. Despite being shot, Cole has sympathy and concern for Chuck's ankle and Chuck feels real embarrassed. Casey says Cole took a bullet for Sarah and gives Chuck a look that says you should check into the emergency room at Weenie Hut General. <laughs> that is, that's exactly what his look says. What do you think happened Later to the other guests at this party? Like, did they flee when they heard gunfire or are they just still there? I don't know. I'm assuming everyone's always fleeing in the background of these episodes of Chuck, whether or not helicopters are exploding yes. or there's guns going off. Everyone's just constantly running away. That's fair. Uh, later that night, back at Castle, Sarah is dressed in Cole's multiple wounds and they're bonding. Cole says that it's nice receiving medical treatment from someone who is an actual person and treats him like he's more than just a name, rank, and serial number. And Sarah's like, I totally know what you mean, before pulling the bullet from his arm. They look into each other's eyes, and Sarah thanks Cole for saving her life, and Cole says, what else was I going to do? Not see you again? Pretty smooth. Pretty smooth. And the eye contact is intense and is broken when Chuck enters the room riding the Cockblock Express. As always. Choo-choo. All aboard. <laughs> he asks if he can get Cole any soup or bisque or an Us Weekly. Fortunately, Casey comes in to break up this awkward tension by saying that they have a briefing in five minutes. Chuck is reminded uh, that this is what he was supposed to tell Sarah and Cole and sees himself out. Now, back at the Buy More, Anna is looking at a catalog for Ikea. 
her decor for their new apartment when Morgan approaches her with a black portfolio. He apologizes for his outburst during the Wii tennis fiasco and says that he was just trying to establish boundaries before they moved in together. He was, uh, he has since, however, realized that there are more mature ways of doing this. So he presents her with a Morgan uptual or a prenup agreement for his rules for living with Anna. Did you, uh, did you catch any of these rules? Only the ones that they said out loud. I didn't uh, bother to pause it and read what they were. What about you? Okay. I did bother to pause it and read what they were, and I wrote some down, oh, so I will share those me. with you. Uh, let's see. So we have the clause symbol banging monkey. Uh, Morgan owns one, and it cannot be touched or wound or stared at for long periods. Uh, kazoo. Morgan reserves Friday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. for practice. Laser tag. Morgan is currently in training for professional certification and may not be available on Tuesday nights. Lies. Grimes can hold his cohabitant to a higher degree of honesty than he himself can be held. Uh, and then there's uh, something about a philosopher. I'm not sure how you say it. Goth. Okay. It's spelled G-O-E-T-H-E. Morgan hates him, but does not know what he did historically. Uh, well, that's... I. Someone, some writer or prop designer or whoever must have had a really good time with that. That sounds <laughs> Just like, like a bunch of to write. It would be horrible to receive, but I understand why Anna laughs at it because that's pretty funny. It's pretty silly. Yeah, I feel like it's probably a lot of inside jokes. Yeah. Uh, Morgan's goal here is to make himself sound like the least appealing roommate possible for Anna, but Anna says that Morgan is insane, but in a good way, and she'll happily sign anything that he wants because she loves him. And Morgan is all bent out of shape by this. Back at Castle, Beckman addresses Cole and thanks him for risking himself to protect Sarah. Cole says that he was just doing his job. The real hero is Chuck, who also got hurt on the mission. Casey speaks up and says that Chuck got, quote, clipped by a windowsill and follows that up by adding, it's as pathetic as it sounds. Beckman continues saying that Dr. Howard is indeed codenamed Perseus. So he's uh, he's the guy we're looking for. Chuck asks why he didn't glean that from his flash. And then Beckman says that the information about the creators of the Intersect was redacted from the intersect for security reasons. Chuck asks her to elaborate on that, and she very flippantly says that Dr. Howard was as involved as any of the many creators who worked on building the intersect. Uh, and then Chuck kind of has a an idea. He suggests that Dr. Howard could possibly know how to remove the intersect from Chuck's mind, and Beckman says that it's possible in theory. Chuck declares that they need to find Dr. Howard, and Beckman says that recovering and securing Dr. Howard is their number one goal, and she directs Sarah and Casey to prepare to deliver a briefing to other field agents in the area. After this, Chuck is re-watching the footage from the consulate cocktail party, trying to find a clue as to where Dr. Howard may have went. Cole enters the room and tells Chuck that he did great work during the shootout. Chuck's not having it and says that he didn't do anything compared to Cole, who saved Sarah's life. Cole says modestly that it was a team effort, but Chuck still won't have it. He goes on to say that he understands all the reasons why Sarah likes Cole. When Sarah walks in and says that she and Casey are ready, Chuck says, I'll be right there. And then it's awkward when he realizes that she was not talking to him. Back at the Bymore, Lester consoles Morgan, suggesting that Anna is apparently unrepulsable, which is clearly true because she continues to work at the Bymore and date Morgan. Yes. Jeff says that no one is unrepulsable to him and says that he just needs peanut oil, bubble wrap, and as much yarn as Morgan can find. At this point, Chuck walks up, limping from his ankle injury. Chuck tells Morgan that they need to talk, and Lester cuts him off saying, about the Anna thing, we've got it covered. Before perhaps saying the most honest, self-aware statement ever uttered on this television show, <laughs> Lester says, you're looking at three individuals gifted in the art of repulsion. Yeah, uh, that's extremely accurate. I was like, yes. Finally. <laughs> they acknowledged it. Chuck questions why Morgan is trying to repulse Anna, and Morgan says that he's just trying to test her to make sure that even though she's getting serious, that she loves him for him and not for other things. Uh, don't bother trying to think of these other things. They don't exist. <laughs> That's Chuck pretty much what Chuck tells Morgan. <laughs> yes, Chuck agrees with this sentiment, and he pulls Morgan aside to tell him that Morgan is lucky to have a girl in his life, period. Uh, case closed. End of story. Chuck then warns Morgan that Morgan will not realize until it is too late that he lost the catch of a lifetime. Chuck then returns to his apartment where Ellie is concerned that he's limping because, you know, she's a doctor. 
She puts him down on a couch, even though he insists that he's fine. She inspects his ankle and calls Devin in, and they both decide that Chuck needs to go to a hospital. Chuck says that he's tougher than he looks, but Devin says that it takes a real man to acknowledge when he's in pain. Aw, thanks, Devin. Chris, are you in pain? I'm not. Not a real man! No, I'm not in any pain. Sure, it's just your masculinity preventing you from telling me that you're in pain right now. I, uh, I do enjoy that the ankle thing continues as a plot point throughout this whole thing because i feel like they could have just had it where chuck trips on the window but i like how it becomes a thing for the rest of the episode yeah i agree i appreciated it we transition back to cole and sarah at castle where cole acknowledges the pain of the rubbing alcohol on his bullet wound ergo he is a real man sarah says that she didn't know that cole could feel pain and he says yes like the clinical disinterest of a beautiful woman I thought you were just going to stop there and be like, and he says, yes. Nope, my notes are way too thorough for that. Nope. Sarah smiles and Cole asks if there was any word on Dr. Howard's location. And Sarah says that she and Casey have intel that Dr. Howard is trying to leave the country. Cole stops Sarah from leaving and makes a passionate last ditch effort to win over her heart by saying how much he likes her and that this uh, kind of connection does not come around often. And it would be a missed opportunity for them not to explore each other romantically. Mm. Chuck has since been taken to the hospital where Ellie has put him in a leg cast and a wheelchair saying that they can't risk having him having a hairline fracture. Sounds like pretty serious business. She goes off looking for crutches for Chuck when Chuck decides to wheel himself out of the room after hearing an argument in a nearby uh, room. Chuck rolls up to the window and sees that the argument happening is between Dr. Howard and his own healthcare professional. Uh, Dr. Howard insists that he wants to leave the hospital, presumably so he can leave the country. Uh, but the doctor tells him that he can't leave the hospital because his leg is not stable enough. Uh, so apparently Dr. Howard went from the consulate and getting shot in the leg to the hospital. I mean, he's a smart man. He knows uh, he needed medical attention. But the government did not know this. You think that they would check with local hospitals to see if anyone checked in. Yeah. With his name, right? Yeah, I mean, that... Instead, they're like, where'd he go? Yeah, that that makes sense. Also, like, I mean, I understand from his part, because the doctor says, like, I have to report this gunshot wound. So maybe, like, maybe the government can... I don't know. I don't know. Um, Yeah, it seems odd that he just, like, got away, considering how important he is to both the CIA and Fulcrum. But, you know, what, what are you going to do? And that he was shot in the leg. Yes. Upon seeing this... Chuck calls Casey and Casey says that they'll have a team there in a half hour. Casey tells Chuck not to do anything, but Chuck says that Dr. Howard might be able to fix his head and he can't miss that chance. Casey tells Chuck not to blow it and Chuck says, how hard can it be? Now keep in mind, Dr. Howard is limping with a cane because once again, he was shot in the leg and Chuck is in a full leg cast. So it is a very silly chase. Yes, it is. Now, not as silly as this part. We cut to Dr. Howard getting out of a convertible he was driving because of, with his, he was with driving his leg. His with his injured leg. leg. I don't know. But that's not the craziest thing. The craziest thing is that Chuck walked with a broken ankle and followed the convertible to some kind of office park. Okay, you know, yeah, maybe the hospital was just right around the corner. <laughs> Dr. Howard stops before entering the building, uh, like in a mission where you're supposed to be in a video game where you're supposed to be stealthily following another character and the character that you're targeting is just like wandering through the streets and then they'll stop every few minutes and just like look around. (laughs) Yes. And then they'll keep walking. It was exactly like that. Uh, Chuck bends down and awkwardly pretends to tie his shoe that he's not wearing because he has a cast on, but Dr. Howard doesn't see him. Chuck gets past the front desk by saying that he's a computer technician and that Dr. Howard is having some serious hardware problems. Turns out that Dr. Howard is going to the second floor of this office building. And then shortly afterwards, Greg and the other Fulcrum agents enter the building after Chuck and they just straight straight up shoot the poor desk attendant. Yeah, I know. I felt just bad in the chest. Him. Amazon like show, shows you like the actors' names. Um so that actor had like a really nice headshot. I'm sure it was a big deal for him when yeah. he got cast. He's like, I got the speaking role in the sitcom. Yeah. Then he gets shot. Second floor. But I mean he <laughs> I don't know, maybe like getting getting killed is fun, like if you're an actor. Like I don't know. That's that's an acting skill. You could like that. I mean, like, it's better than just, like, playing an already dead body. You got some, like, things mm-hmm. that you have to do. Yep. Makeup. Uh, spe- fun. Speaking of people that have things to do, Dr. Howard hobbles towards his office yep. on the second floor, and it turns out it's actually a laboratory. Yes. Did you notice the name of the laboratory? 
No, I did not. It's called Constellation Science, which makes sense because he's called Perseus and Orion is going to come up later in the episode. Oh, they're constellations. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. You're going to do so well in your sixth grade science class. I know. So observant. Chuck makes it to the door of Howard's office before it shuts. He puts his foot in the door, literally, but it's his sprained foot, so it probably Ooh. hurts him. Uh, his pain diminishes slightly when he pushes open the door and finds a huge lab space with giant supercomputer-type things in it. Chuck hides as Howard opens his safe and takes out a bunch of money and his passport. Chuck then steps out into the open to gawk at everything, so he shouldn't really be surprised when Howard, like, sees him and pulls a gun. <laughs> Downstairs, Casey, Sarah, and Cole arrive and see the dead desk assistant. They draw their guns and run upstairs. Chuck tells Howard he just wants some answers about the intersect, Howard asks who Chuck is. Just then, Chuck flashes on a file folder that says Orion, and Howard notices Chuck's expression and says, Did you just flash? This must be, like, really exciting for Howard. <laughs> he went, like, I don't know, like, to see your invention in action would be, like, really cool, especially if you're not expecting it. Like, if we went up to someone and we're like, hey, what are you listening to? And they're like, I'm listening to Go Chuck Yourself. Yeah, that would, that's exactly the same thing. The level of enthusiasm yes. that would be displayed. Yeah. Uh, Chuck asks if the intersect can be removed, and Howard says only Orion would know, but theoretically it's possible. He starts to explain that Orion founded the team and developed the intersect, but then the bad Fulcrum man arrives and shoots Howard. Chuck screams, no! As the Fulcrum guy is about to shoot Chuck, Cole dives in front of him and takes the bullet again. Cole is such a good guy, let me tell you. He just, he's so good at yeah. taking bullets. Yeah, he's, that's his, one of his many skills. Greg, the Fulcrum guy, points his gun at Cole and has plenty of time to take the shot, uh, considering that he just, like, point-blank shot the desk assistant, like, within seconds a few minutes ago. Uh, but he takes his time. He gives time to Cole. He gives time for Cole to say, sweep the leg, and for Chuck to use his pass to take the bad guy out of the knee, then beat him up with Howard's cane. Unfortunately, Chuck forgets to pick up the gun once it's dropped because he hates guns and all. Uh, so the bad guy recovers and picks up the gun and points it at Cole and Chuck. Before he can shoot, Sarah shoots him. She asks if they're okay, and Chuck assumes she must be talking to Cole, but she says she's talking to both of them. Back in Castle, Cole is wearing a suit? It looked weird, considering he'd been wearing, like, tank tops this whole episode, but, I mean, it looked good on him. I think I think he was wearing a suit in the last episode when he and Sarah were seducing each other, but, like, it just seems mm -hmm. weird now. Beckman congratulates the team on their mission. Chuck asks her about Orion, and Beckman says that her team is working on it. She also says she's arranged for Cole to be transferred back to the UK, so he says his goodbyes. First, he admits to Casey that he actually took out 12 men, but he doesn't like to boast. Um, it's unclear whether Casey... I think Casey is, like, begrudgingly impressed by this. It's unclear whether Casey, like, feels that he personally could take out 12 men or not. Um, Cole tells Chuck he's the most special agent he's ever worked with and advises <laughs> Chuck to carry a gun or two. Uh... Clearly, he doesn't know much about California carrying laws because, uh, I mean, I, I don't either, but I feel like it's more complicated than just like, hey, you should carry a gun or two. I don't know. We do live in America. That's true. Uh, I guess Chuck is a federal agent also, so maybe like it's easier for him to get a gun than it would be for other people. I don't know. Whatever. They haven't let him have a gun so far. Anyway, uh, Cole also gives Chuck the advice, if you want something bad enough, don't ever take no for an answer, uh, as we cut to a shot of Sarah. Um, more on that later, that's not necessarily good advice. <laughs> uh, but then Cole goes to speak to Sarah. The melancholy piano music that uh, was overlaying the scene briefly has a saxophone kind of over it, mm -hmm. so uh, that's how you know things are about to get steamy. But uh, before they can, surprise, surprise, we cut to a shot of Morgan locking his Buy More locker. Chuck walks into the break room and Morgan starts trying to explain about the apartment situation. Chuck is relieved when Morgan finally gets to the point and says he has to move in with Anna instead. Crisis averted. Oof. If we remove everything we know from this situation, which is really hard to do, but if you are able to uh, have that cognitive dissonance. It's actually kind of a sweet moment because Morgan says he just wants to make Anna happy. Um, this is obviously a lie, considering everything we know about Morgan, but it's a nice thing for him to say. Morgan says he and Chuck will still be friends, and Chuck says, as opposed to what? 
it's a good question. I don't know. Coworkers, yeah, uh, they, people who have never like stop, stop speaking, uh, people who live across the country from each other because it's tough to run. I don't know. Just a few things off the top of my head. Apparently, Cole and Sarah didn't actually talk in the last scene because the scene following is them in a different room in Castle. Cole walks in as Sarah is working on a computer and calls her Dr. Walker. I was really confused and I was like, when did she get a PhD? But I think it's just a joke that she was like nursing him back to health. Lost on me. Uh, he <laughs> asks her to come with him to the UK. She says she can't. He tells her he saw the way she looked at Chuck and she says, when you find someone you care about, it's hard to walk away. He says, who would have thought Cole Barker loses the girl to Chuck Bartowski? Okay. Uh, but they do share a little moment as uh, Signs by Black Party plays, and uh, that plays out the rest of the episode. And it was uh, a really fitting song. Like, I don't know if you, like, were paying much attention to the music, but I thought that it was a really good choice. Like, it was kind of melancholy, but kind of, like, upbeat. It didn't, like, distract from the scenes, but it kind of, like, it felt like it belonged there. This music supervisor is so good. Yeah, I thought I enjoyed the the music yeah. in this scene yes. especially uh in the i guess the following scene yeah. i felt like it was working effectively yeah so uh speaking of that scene um that night sarah is waiting <laughs> for chuck in his courtyard he asks if cole left and she says yes chuck makes an awkward and ironic speech about how sarah and cole would make a good team before sarah can correct him about the actual nature of their relationship he says that he can't actually move in with her because he's in love with her and being together like that every day would be too hard Sarah says she understands. Um, in the scene, Chuck is talking. We we focus on him a little bit, but we're primarily focusing on like Sarah's face, her expressions, her reactions. Mm -hmm. And since we just saw the scene with her and Cole, like we know, like she loves she loves Chuck too, but she's too stubborn and also doing her job. Chuck promises with Sarah he's going to get the intersect out of his head and live a life with the woman he loves, and she agrees that he will do that. Um, does he mean her? Is is that his plan? I was kind of unclear. He says this a couple times in the next episodes. I think Yeah, he doesn't really specify. Yeah. I mean maybe he's like kinda means her, but he's like kinda like not saying that. I don't know. Uh Chuck returns to his apartment. Ellie offers him some moving boxes, which she very kindly bought for him. He says, Change of plans, not moving out, talk later. He goes into his room, takes his Tron poster off the wall, and we realize that he has a whole little tracking system on the back of it with like pictures and id photos of all the like government and fulcrum people he's encountered i don't know where mm -hmm. he got those uh but he's made like a, a web of information he writes orion in the center with a sharpie and circles it and that's that's well he underlines it he doesn't circle it i'm sorry to lie that was just uh my journalistic integrity going down the drain <laughs> uh, but that episode but does end here that is true and while we were making corrections, turns out that the Fulcrum guy's name is not Greg, it's Duncan. Yeah, it's Duncan. According to the credits. Yeah. So uh, stop the episode, listen to the whole thing again, and just pretend like we said Duncan whenever we said Greg. Yes. Yes. Chuck versus the lethal weapon. Ends on a, ends on a, uh, an interesting note. It's yeah. a little sad, a little but it's also kind of forward-looking. Yeah. There's a little bit of intrigue. Mm -hmm. Um, I... After watching this episode and poking around, I found what I think may be a copy of the casting call. Oh, my God. For Cole's role. Okay. Cole's role. Cole's role. Uh, Cole's role. What is this? Rolling say? on Cole's Where did role. you find it? What, like, tell me more about this. Uh, I don't know how I found it. I don't know where it was, um, but it just kind of popped up. Um, so... It says that the character, initially, it's written that the character's name is Dominic. Okay. He's 32 years old, male, rugged, tough, not pretty, but sexy and masculine, manly, rough and tumble, unpolished, macho type. Think Jason Statham, Dominic West, Clive Owen. We prefer British, Irish, or Australian. This is a major guest star role. That was a casting call. That's that's really cool. That's so like where was that? Just talking uh, it was on some website that aggregates casting calls, I guess. Okay, cool. That I don't really know. That's really interesting. How I found it. Um. Um. I think they they hit the nail on the head though. Yeah, that's exactly uh, how I would describe Cole. Jonathan Cake. Yep. Oh, Jonathan Cake. I'm gonna miss him. I don't think he comes back. I wish he would. I should watch him in something else. I liked him. <laughs> 
I'm sure you can find him in something else. Yeah. He's in Shakespeare I... things. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Then something to think about. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy his character in this episode. I know it was pretty lukewarm last week yeah. about Cole, but I I liked him a lot more this time around. Yeah, you have more um, to do. Speaking of thoughts and feelings, why don't we move into Chuck Mary Kill? Let's. One part of this episode that we'd want to marry, and one part of this episode that we want to kill. Aaron, what would you like to marry? Um, this is gonna come as no surprise based on what I just said, but I really like the use of this uh, final song, which is okay. "Silence" okay. by Black Party. I think I already said mm-hmm. that, but uh, it it deserves two mentions. Um, I think that the for all of the reasons I've already mentioned, the tone and the actual like instrumentalization of the song like really fit well in the scene. I thought it was an excellent choice. Also, I just really like hearing it because it's a good song. So, mm-hmm. a simple Mary for me this week, but uh, I really like that. I it's very similar to my Mary oh. this week. My Mary is um the Walk Like an Egyptian cover. Oh my god! Uh, I which we did that. not mention, but during like the entrance yeah. to the the swish swiss swish 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 fish um during the entrance scene to the swiss consulate they're playing a walk like an egyptian cover which i Mm -hmm. it's not the egyptian consulate there's ostensibly no no reason why the song is playing but it works really well yeah and i really dug it yeah it was actually really um i think it was cool i have to look up who does that so i can try to find it again but I was I was quite smitten with that use of the song. Yeah, it's always um, is there's just something exciting about like hearing a song that you know in another language. Cause it's like it was yay. it wasn't in another language though. I thought it was in oh, English. Was oh okay. Oh, was okay. I losing my mind? Just cut that out. So, and then what a uh, part of this episode would you want to kill? I have uh two kills this week. One of them is gonna be kind of conceptual. Um, just. The concept of Cole's advice uh, to Chuck about, like, never taking no for an answer, I think is something you get a lot in shows like this, and it's kind of like a, like, I mean, we know that Chuck and Cole are, like, good guys, and, like, Chuck, like, Cole doesn't mean, like, he's gonna, like, force himself on Sarah if she says no, but, like, I think just that concept of, like, don't take no for an answer in, like, a dating context is, like, not, not good advice for, especially, like, 14 year old Chris is watching the show. Like, I, I, I like to think that you have lived your life in a good way, but I think. Wait, that, what is uh, this kill? Is this, is this killing me? <laughs> yes! I would like to take out this kill as me. I just think that there is a um, romanticized notion in television sometimes of like men should pursue women even if they're saying no because actually, like, it's mm-hmm. a sign of love. Um, and I think, like, in the show, it is, like, romantic, but in real life, in practice, it's kind of creepy because if a woman is saying, like, stop, you should yeah. listen to that. Um, you should take it at face value always. So Yeah, I think um, that's definitely something just, that is in television shows, romantic comedies. Yeah. Just it. Yeah. It's in everything. Yeah. It's all over the place. It's really pervasive. So I didn't uh, love it here. Also, just, like. I liked the um, idea of the scene. Like, you, I don't know if you even noticed this. Maybe I was just having, like, a rough day yesterday. But the scene where, like, Chuck gets pulled into Castle and it, like, just keeps, like, filming around and zooming in close on people's faces and, like, the camera is spinning and it's very disorienting. Um, I think... I don't know if I would kill that because, like, it seems like it worked for establishing the tone of that scene and the mood and how Chuck would be feeling. But it made me really dizzy, so... Okay. Well, I don't get motion sickness, so uh, it sounds like a you problem. <laughs> you and Chuck can check yeah. into uh, Weenie Hut General. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll be there. You can find us at the uh, Weenie Hut didn't General. Didn't mean to discredit your kill. I think those are valid. Um, Thank I, you. What about you? Well, I'm going to go with something basic, but I'm going to go ahead and go with the okay. B plot to some extent, uh, specifically. Okay the objectification of Anna. I know that we talk about this almost every week, but this week struck me as especially in the vein of, um, I don't know, just like objectification with Lester and Jeff referring to Anna as like a piece of property that they could get from Morgan. If Morgan decided that he didn't want her anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did not. um, I just breezed past that. There's just like this kind of 
like treating Anna like she's a piece of meat. And we've seen Anna be a multi-dimensional yeah. character. Uh, just yes, we've seen her be a badass, badass. But then we get the characters talking about her in this light, and it and it's Anna herself gets kind of a shallow characterization. It's it's all over the place. Didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, um, that's fair. Scooch scale. Let's talk about it. How many corn dogs were given this episode? Could be anywhere between zero and five. I'm gonna ask you to go first because I want to hear okay. what you think. I will give this episode four corn dogs. I enjoyed this episode. Okay. I feel like it was better paced and more interesting than the previous episode. Uh, like mm-hmm. I was saying before, I didn't. I was kind of ambivalent about Cole on the previous episode, but I liked the use of him in this mm-hmm. one, especially with his, you know, like relationship with Chuck and kind of how they're juxtaposed mm-hmm. against each other. Uh, and I also thought it was an interesting turn how we're starting to get chuck we're seeing him be a little bit more motivated by his desire to get the intersect out of his head rather than mm. other motivations i think it's kind of interesting because it, it splinters off and it's not necessarily the motivation of say like beckman or sarah or yeah. casey or whoever so he's kind of splintering off mm-hmm. in his own way which i think is interesting uh thought it had some good funny yeah. moments also some good dramatic moments like at the end um i liked how they had mm-hmm. that close-up shot of sarah in that scene when Chuck's talking to her, because it really does put you more in her perspective yeah. and you really focus on her. Uh, yeah. And I think that Yvonne did a, a really wonderful job with the emotional subtlety in that scene. Um, so yeah, I I yeah. had a positive experience this week. I'm glad. Um, I'm going to differ from you slightly. I also had a positive experience. I had a lot of the same positive experiences that you just named. Um, I think that... Yeah, I like seeing Chuck take initiative. I think, like, the second, like, nearing the end of the second season of a show, it's good to see, like, the main character, like, coming to his own a little bit more. And I know I've expressed before, like, seeing Chuck have, like, confidence or mm-hmm. initiative is always nice. Um, I'm okay. going to give it a three. Just, okay. um, I, I can't really name anything, like, other than what we've talked about that was specifically, like, wrong with this episode. I just, it just kind of felt like middle of the road for me. I was happy that Cole was there. I liked the conclusion of all of the plots. I like generally liked it. I just like it didn't bump up to a four or five. Yeah, sometimes that magic just isn't there. And you don't know why. You're like, I, I feel like I should like this more, but it's just kind of middle of the road. So I respect that. So season two, episode 16, Chuck versus the lethal weapon. Sweet 16. I think we could also add that to our wedding planning business. If you want to have a Chuck themed super sweet 16 birthday party. Or a uh, uh will come. Or bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. Do yeah, sure. We'll just open no? up to anything. Uh, we'll celebrate okay. whatever cultural festivity that you're having. We'll bring our <laughs> Nintendo Wii along, play some Wii tennis, uh, play Walk Like an Egyptian. Yeah. Yes. Chris's favorite song. So yeah. Uh, hi. Hire us for your event needs. Go check yourself. Uh, went, go. Plan yourself. Go plan your wedding. I don't know. We'll we'll workshop the name, but uh, go wedding us. yourself. Um, yeah, and we'll uh we'll broadcast live from your wedding because that's of course what you definitely yes, want. Yes, a live episode of Go Chuck Yourself being held during your wedding reception. Everybody, stop dancing and sit and listen to this podcast, which is an audio description of a visual <laughs> presentation. Yes, it'll be great. Uh, yeah. So um on on that note um. Thanks. Thanks again to everyone who wrote in. It really does mean a lot to us. And we hope that uh, we can continue to um, offer fun and entertaining insights um, for those of you who wrote to us and for everyone else who's uh, just just listening in. Thank you. We're very grateful. Yes, we appreciate it. And we will uh, keep doing the show as long as people are listening to it. Do I sound sincere? Sometimes people think that I don't sound sincere when I say Well, things. I I know that you were sincere because I know what your sincerity sounds like. I can't speak for someone else, but... Oh. Everyone, I, I, I am sincere, very sincere, and I'm sincere in saying that I'm she sincere. She has tears in her eyes. I have tears! I really did on... When we when you, when we read those emails earlier um, earlier this week, when you alerted me to their presence, I was... Uh, I, I did. I told everyone I knew, and I teared up a little bit, and we all talked, we all had a little chat about how Chuck fans are so wholesome, 
and uh it's so nice to get uh to to hear from people who listen to the show it's just really nice <laughs> so thanks uh and on that note on a sincere note i suppose <laughs> i guess we could play uh, aaron's just crying now just crying into a flannel shirt um we will pretend that we are playing block party as well and uh have a kind of a I don't really yeah. remember how it went. My name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food is sexy. And my name is Erin Rada, letting you know that anything is possible, especially with great fans and listeners like you. Thank you. We'll see you next week. The big season two, episode 17. Everyone's going to be talking about it. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to freemusicarchive.org and the artist Hadakoa for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. Make sure to email us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com and tweet at us at gochuckpodcast. Remember to like and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and write a review if that's something you need to do. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.